0: Welcome to the Start Something Show. Join world renowned experts, change agents, and everyday folks who have done the amazing. All here to help you start something incredible. Now it's time to step out, live your perfect day, and create a legacy with your host, Tina Dietz. Hello, my lovelies. This is Tina Dietz, and it's time for another episode of the Start Something Show. Today on the show, we're welcoming Marilyn Suttle, who is a Goddess of customer service. And she's going to talk with us all about why customer service is so important and how to turn some of the most difficult customers into our biggest fans. Well, yay. I think we all need that one for sure. Well, we're going to get to that a little bit later in the show. But today it's time for everyone's favorite segment Don't Be That Guy. And remember, if you have a Don't Be That Guy, you can hashtag Not That Guy. On Twitter, and tell us your experiences with people, places, and things that just really should not be in business. So today, our featured Don't Be That Guy is Conflict Avoidant Disappearing Guy. Okay, so Conflict Avoidant Disappearing Guy is the guy who every time there is an issue will fall off the face of the planet. So it might be in conversation, it might be an email, you might be a contract negotiation. It could be a customer service issue. Maybe it's a money issue. This tends to come up a lot whenever money is involved. And the person that you're dealing with or god forbid maybe it's you falls off the face of the planet, falls out of communication only to maybe arise weeks or months later with a, oh, hey, this got lost in the sauce, or, oh, hey, I didn't think it was that big of a deal, or, what, what are you talking about? you know, success is really paired with being in communication. So it's super, super important to face the stuff head on. So especially when you're dealing with money, if you've got a contract that isn't working out and you or you can't fulfill it, if you don't have the money, if something has happened, or things aren't working the way you want, getting communication about it, you can really work out major issues. If you're just willing to reach out and say, hey, X, Y, and Z really isn't working for me. Or, you know what? I'm in a bad situation financially. Here's why. And can we work something out? Most people are fairly reasonable human beings if you deal with them reasonably. I know sometimes it doesn't look like that on the surface. And actually, we're going to be talking about uh, reasonable and unreasonable people a little later in the show today with Marilyn Suttle. But don't disappear on people. Don't be that guy. If you've got a Don't Be That Guy segment that you'd like to feature on the show, remember you can hashtag NotThatGuy on Twitter or go back to the StartSomethingShow.com to the Contact Us page and shoot us an email. We might feature You're Not That Guy on the show and talk about you on the air and say nice things about you. Yay! Okay, there's my soapbox for today. And now we're going to get on with our fabulous interview. <whistles> Today on the Start Something Show, we're welcoming Marilyn Suttle, the president of the Metro Detroit-based personal and professional growth training firm, Suttle Enterprises. As the co-author of the best-selling business book, Who's Your Gladys? How to Turn Even the Most Difficult Customer into Your Biggest Fan. I can't wait to do this conversation with her. She's also written the award-winning Who's Your Gladys customer service blog, Marilyn's business training's. Focus on creating connected and positive relationships with even the most challenging people. And we do know some challenging people, don't we? And there's an emphasis on emotion management and self-development. Maryland's clients, you have got an incredible client list here, Fortune 500 companies such as Ford Motor, Pfizer, Vistion, associations such as the Association for Child Abuse Prevention and the Association of Administrative Professionals, and educational institutions such as the University of Michigan and Clemson University. And Maryland is regularly sourced as an expert in major media outlets such as Ladies Home Home Journal, U.S. News, and World Report and Inc. Magazine, just to name a few. You can check out her award-winning blog and all kinds of information as well as the book at com. Marilyn, thanks for starting something with me today. Hey, Tina. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm really happy to have you. This is really, really cool and a topic that we have not gotten to cover yet. Um, and I'm really excited because you are like the go-to person for customer service.
1: Well, I have put my heart and soul into this because it's a passion of mine.
0: Yeah. And it's not just the Fortune 500 companies. It's really holographic what customer service needs to be all the way from being a solo entrepreneur to the largest companies out there, isn't it?
1: Oh, yeah. It's really a mindset and a skill set that no matter what kind of business you're in, you're dealing with customers and you're a
0: customer yourself. So it applies just across the board. That's so cool. Well, take us back to when you were getting started in, in your businesses. When did you know you wanted to change your life and start something?
1: Well, you know, I think it started, I have to say, when I was about four years old, which might sound strange, but my No, father, most of the <laughs> folks on the show
0: start somewhere between the ages of four and 13 in their story. You so know, it's kind of cool. It's
1: true. Yeah. And my dad owned a bar. And during the day, he would take me with him to the bar while he prepared it for the evening and the love and care he put into making the floors shine and making the the countertops glisten and how every attention to detail he had he took such pride in it it really made a big impression as a child and my mother also owned her own business till she was 90 if you can even imagine 90 um, she had an income tax business and her clients loved her. She loved them. And it was very difficult for her to retire. And people were very upset because she, they loved her. So I got to see two big role models in my life, passionate about what they were doing. And it just struck me that, wow, you know, this is, this is meaningful. And I think from that
0: young age, I always knew I'd have my own business. That's really interesting. I did not know that you were also the child of entrepreneurs like myself. Oh, you are as yes, well, Tina. Yes, Oh, my gosh. What were your parents? Yeah. My what parents think? had a uh, wood-burning stove and fireplace, and we lived upstairs, and the business was downstairs, so I grew up steeped in that, too. Isn't, wow. it, isn't it amazing how much it just becomes a part of your blood?
1: Oh, it does. Just even the conversations at the table, your blueprint is just so focused on how do we serve yes. how do we make a difference
0: yeah exactly exactly and it, it it's never ceases to amaze me when i would go to my friends houses and they and they weren't talking about that kind of thing around the dinner table how strange it seemed to me at the time <laughs> <laughs> right
1: although i know a lot of colleagues who found that bug on their own and and had to blaze that trail on their own and did beautifully. So it's possible either way, but I think we have a benefit of having that be in the background of our our memory banks, right?
0: Very true. Very true. Part of the DNA. Well, then as you did step into starting your own business, what were some of the things that you had to overcome? What bumps in the road did you manage and, and deal with and how?
1: Well, I started the business pretty early on. I, you know, when I got out of college, I worked for major corporations consulting. I got into the IT world of all things, which is not what I do now, but it was a real gift because I got to see the intricacies of how General Motors works, how major hospitals work. I, I was able to hop from Company to company through a consulting firm, so I got to see how a lot of different people operated. So going into my own business, the, the challenge was you don't have this big corporate budget behind you. You don't have the cushion of established people around you. It's you, baby. It's just it's just you in the beginning. You remember that, Tina? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so one of the biggest challenges for me was that moving, creating the company, I started with where I could make a financial difference, but it wasn't really in my wheelhouse. It wasn't, I was training, which is my love. I love to train, but I was training on technical things, software, how to use programs, how to, you know, and I loved the training piece, but it wasn't my, I'm a people person. I'm all about how do you use your mindset with your skill set to connect. And that was, I was teaching people how to connect with their computers. It wasn't quite where I wanted to be. And it took a lot of training, personal development on my own, courage, risk-taking, all of those things.
0: And then what do you think was the biggest business risk that you ever took?
1: You know, I had to invest in me, which was, I had to believe in me before other people would. So I had to invest in my own education, in my own company needs. I had to put very large amounts of money into creating an office that would work successfully. And I think that was it, was really to that moment when it was, do I believe in myself enough to put this investment back in? And it was that moment of uncertainty, which is kind of a terrifying moment because you don't have a crystal ball. But until you believe in you, why should anybody else? And one of the questions I ask my clients, which I ask myself is, you know, my business is ideal when I am blank, when I am certainly isn't when I am afraid or when <laughs> I am holding back or when I am not taking risks. My business is ideal when I am engaged and believing in what's possible and taking risks and connecting with people and taking shots at things that's when my business is ideal
0: so as you were making these investments in in yourself your business you know how did people around you feel about that your loved ones friends colleagues
1: <laughs> i still don't think everyone in my family quite understands what are you doing, you know, what what do you mean you're getting on a plane again? Do you really want to get on a plane again? You're going, you're going on a stage. Why do do you want to do that? They don't get it. (laughs) Uh, But they, you know, and pieces of it, they do get, you know, when I have a really big success with a client and, and you know, it's very obvious that things are going well or when the book is released. But even in the writing of my book, it's like, why do you want to do that? <laughs> and that's really important. What I, One of the biggest things I learned is you can't rely on your lifetime friends or your family to help push you forward necessarily. You need to create business friends who who are doing the same thing you are. Like I have a mastermind group and man, that book came out of that mastermind group because everybody was like, I just put it in the air. I want to write it. And then they all held me accountable.
0: <laughs> Let's talk about your, I want to talk about your book. And I also uh, want to talk about this mastermind because it is a common misconception that, you know, when we, we get all excited about our entrepreneurial seizure, as they say in the E-Myth, and, you know, we go out and it's like, yay, I'm creating this. And then the people who love us in our lives often just, it's like blank stare, crickets, fart in church, you know, you pick an analogy. And we're like, well, wait. If the people who love me don't think it's a good idea, it must not be. And that is not anywhere near the truth. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We have because to have works those business for them- people
1: doesn't necessarily work for us. Yes. We have to have that
0: locus of control inside. Exactly, exactly. So then how did you, was it through your personal training and development that you developed these new groups of people, these new tribes that you then, that eventually ended up being part of your mastermind? Yeah,
1: you know, it was a funny thing because like I had said, I was very much in the technical world and in I guess it was 1981, something like that. I wanted to take a Dale Carnegie class. And at the time, we really couldn't afford it. It was like $800 or something at the time. And I had little babies and a business that we were trying to launch, you know, and I never played the lottery ever, ever, ever. And I played a four number thing just on a just on a whim and won $800. Oh, get so, out. Really? I know. It's like, come on. Oh, that's like, awesome. You can't even write that in a script and have it be No, volleyball. But it happened, and I took Dale Carnegie. That's, that's the kind of passion I had for that. It's like some people would say, let's take a vacation. No, I want to take a Dale Carnegie class. <laughs> and from there, I took a lot of – a lot that just, like, lit me up. And it really re- had me realize, oh, this communication piece, this is where it is. And so re-educating myself and connecting with – one of the best things I ever did was before Jack Canfield, the chicken soup of the soul guy, was big – back when he was just releasing his books, just real early on. I took a 10-day workshop with him that it was really pivotal for me. We didn't go to the fancy hotels he's at now. We were in college dorm rooms with no TVs. And it was like 14-hour days. He had a big sign that said, you'll sleep next week. And we... (laughs) We dived into every issue that might stop us from being unstoppable. And he doesn't even do some of this anymore. We dealt with our biggest fears. We dealt with our roadblocks. And one of the things he said to me was, Marilyn, you got to join the National Speakers Association. And I didn't even know what that was, but I signed up the next day because I I had enough going that I – you have to have a certain amount of speeches a year or make a certain amount of money. And I was there. So I joined it without even knowing what it was. And through them and through Jack, I learned about masterminding. And through these different groups, you connect with like minded people who are passionate entrepreneurs. Now, my parents were passionate entrepreneurs, but from a different era, from in a, a, you know, a very different kind of work. So as much as they understood the entrepreneurial part, they didn't quite get the the, you know, speaking part. They don't get the social media part as much, you know. So I had to find my
0: people for that. And so that's how that evolved. And so you that you must there must have been something in you that saw that potential with Jack Canfield's works. I know that you have a long time collaboration with Jack, is that right?
1: Well, now I speak on his stages. Now he brings me in to teach his train his trainers, which is Phenomenal to have an hour and a half on his stage like that, and he has endorsed both my this book I have out now and the one coming out in the fall. And just it's turned into a wonderful relationship over the years. I deeply appreciate. And that's really that speaks to the power of mentorship. It really does. Absolutely, and when a mentor helps you and you actually achieve what this mentor is trying to help you do, it develops a friendship, a kinship, and then of course you do the same for others and find other people who understand that one to many and that you're always as you're reaching up, you're also reaching down, helping other people up. It's a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah. When you build a ladder, you help people up, but you don't kick the ladder over once you get to the top. Right. (laughs) Right.
1: That's right. right.
0: That's right. Now let's talk about your book. Who's your Gladys? Tell us about Gladys. Okay. So we are all Gladys's I'm a Gladys. i would be
1: willing to be as wonderful and sweet as you are, Tina. Oh, no. You're probably Gladys at times. Sure, I am. (laughs) Gladys is the one who just doesn't hold back. She's going to tell you when she's unhappy. And she's... uh, Gladys is a customer who pushes your buttons. So different people have different ways of having their buttons pushed. So some might be really pushed by the person who's cold and, you know, aloof. And another person is the one who's in your face is the one that bothers you. So... What I did is I spent a year and a half interviewing companies like Singapore Airlines, Paul Reed Smith guitars, hospitals, uh, pipe companies, uh, even Jack Canfield's company. I went to 10 different industries and they opened their doors. I got to speak to all levels of management and to their frontline people and find out, you know, who really triggers you? How do you deal with it? And I went to the companies that were doing well during the economic downturn. You know, they were the ones who really got it. And I was able to really identify the Gladys' that we face and how you can turn them into happy customers.
0: So you spoke with companies that were doing well when the economy was bad.
1: Oh, when it was tanky. Oh,
0: yeah. that makes oh. See, I love that because, you know, yeah. when you know you're doing well and when things are lousy, you really got something going on. Well, what were some right. of the things that you found in terms of common threads?
1: One of the threads that everyone had was a real clear definition about making mistakes. All of the companies that made it into the book had a belief that mistakes are tuition towards your education, that mistakes are accelerated learning, that when your staff makes mistakes, you don't want them to hide hide it and hate themselves. You want them to share it and learn from it. And it takes a leader at the top, whether you're a solopreneur, notice if you're beating yourself up or, you know, afraid to take a chance because you failed once, or if you see it as, you know, you are failing forward. In other words, every failure it's actually an off course, but in the right direction, because you're learning something
0: that puts you on course. I really love that. These All these companies had that same orientation toward that.
1: It was amazing. They said it in different ways, but that, that was the overall arching message was that, you know, one of them, I, I just love this. It was a builder, and they would bring the young, uh, by young, I mean new staff, not necessarily young age-wise, but they would bring the new staff into meetings with the established leaders, and have them listen to how they handled mistakes, listen to how they handled their own feelings about themselves when they made a mistake. And it was really, you know, you may have heard, what is his name, uh, Jack Welsh, in his book, he talked about um, he made a mistake that caused a building to blow up. And he thought for sure they were going to fire him. So he got his letter of resignation up, written and ready. He went into his boss and his boss said, "We just invested a million dollar building in you. We're not letting you go. You, that was a, a million dollar lesson. So, uh, this is the kind of thinking that you need to be a risk taker. And I believe it's Google that if you go to your your review, your work review, and you haven't made a mistake since your last review, they boot you because it means you're not taking risks."
0: What a fascinating orientation. We're so tend to be so risk averse. Uh, Because something bad might happen, the other shoe might drop, and we might X, Y, Z, we might feel bad, we might be embarrassed, we might lose your jobs, whatever, to have an environment that actually encourages not necessarily reckless risk taking, but, you know, expansive risk taking, and then, you know, is willing to go through the process of improvement, that, yeah. yeah, that, that improvement. So, you know, and it's, you said you're having another book coming out based on, based on Gladys. Tell us some about that too. That's coming right. out this fall?
1: This fall. And it's called Taming Gladys. What it is, is it's a 12 week guide. It's, it's called um, how to create fierce customer loyalty in just 12 weeks. So it's a 12 week guide and it's really comprehensive, whether you're a solopreneur, if you're a manager with a staff, it's wonderful because it walks you through what to do week by week.
0: Well, you know, one of the th- um, studies that really stood out for me that I reference quite often was that huge Gallup worldwide study they did on the state of the global workplace a couple of years ago. And mm. uh, it, what always stands out for me the most, besides the fact that 75 you know, percent of people in the world are disengaged in some way from their work, was that they digging in down further, they found that mostly the source of that was management and right. misguided management and, and actually yeah. being a leader. So does your book provide some resources and in, in that vein to really help people become leaders? Because, you know, if you become a manager, you're not necessarily becoming a leader. It's not bestowed on you with some sort of divine intervention, right? There's learning that has to be done. I think a lot of people might be concerned or embarrassed or not know which way to turn. It sounds like this book might be a good resource for that
1: absolutely because people tend to get promoted into management so they do good at their job but they're not management is something a whole new animal like how do you inspire people and i've heard such horror stories from people who have managers that make them leave their jobs and and nobody intends to wake up in the morning and uh, disengage their staff a lot of it is you don't know what you don't know so what this does is what we took six companies through this program before we wrote the book and, you know, put it in this format. And it really gave them ways to acknowledge their staff, ways to get their staff to own your customer culture. Because there's the way we do things in quotes that's like, yeah, lip service. And there's the real (laughs) way we do things. (laughs) Yeah. So getting those to line up is really about how the manager walks his talk or how she is behind the scenes. Because what happens on the inside of a company will eventually show up on the outside and how they treat their customers.
0: Well, let's go back to Gladys for a minute. And uh, I have known myself to be uh, a bit of a Gladys to be- demand some pretty high standards from okay. companies or people that I'm, you know, that I'm working with. And what's something that you could, we all deal with difficult customers. What's something that you could say, you know, what's a key piece of turning a difficult customer into a good situation? having them come back or be loyal or even become a fan? Well, a lot of it is how you deal with their upset. Because you're
1: going to, it's not a matter of if you're going to have an upset customer, it's when. It's going to happen. And typically, you know, people feel that not in their stomach, you feel a little bit of a threat. It's that natural feeling. And we've seen all kinds of social media disasters where people handle it poorly. But one of the easiest it's just like a quick little step-by-step thing if somebody's complaining the first thing you do is say thank you for telling me and mean it because they're telling you something that maybe a hundred other people would experience and you you don't even know so if you can be genuinely appreciative it's disarming they're surprised and it takes them back for a moment uh from that attack mode to what (laughs) you're thanking me and and then say please tell me more i really want to hear everything because not until all their upset comes out will anything good flow in. So be in soothing yourself while they tell you what's wrong, what they're upset about. Even if you don't agree with it, you can agree that they're unhappy and you want them to be happy. So a lot of it is how you think of that that complaint. So thank them, ask them for more Then let's say I'm so sorry you're unhappy. A simple question like what could we do to make this right or I'm here to make this right. What would make it right for you? Customers will often ask for far less than what you would offer them to make up. Mostly, they just want to be heard. So it's a discharging, disarming, lovely, easy thing to do if you have
0: the skill set. So I hear that you know developing this real ability to not take things personally and to bring an enormous amount of compassion to the conversation are pretty essential.
1: It really is. And one way to do that, because it can feel pretty, I I call it a Gladys attack. When you're receiving a Gladys attack, that doesn't feel good. No, it doesn't. So what I imagine when somebody's upset at you, if you can imagine that they're not really upset at you, they're upset at a problem. And you, if you could like disengage yourself from it and imagine yourself moving on their side and attacking the problem with them, that you're like the concierge toward solution.
0: Ooh, it just I like takes
1: that. the bite out of it.
0: I like that. Yeah, switching switching over. So not allowing it to come at you, but actually moving energetically to their point of view so that you can work with them on something rather than be a point of resistance against exactly. it.
1: Because you re- when you're resistant, it just makes things get even worse. Oh, yeah. And never never say, well, I'm sorry if you were upset or if you had a problem. It's not if you... They're
0: upset.
1: All that does is enrage somebody. It does.
0: It's one of the biggest mistakes. It's like like a false apology. Right. It's like a false apology. You know, it's like, well, I'm sorry if you're upset, but clearly you're an ass. You know, it's really (laughs) that's the kind of the underlying message that that comes through in that kind of a conversation.
1: (laughs) Well, I know you've been waiting on hold, but, you know, yeah. but it's yeah. everything that came before it. Yeah,
0: yeah. and it yeah. pretty much negates all of that. So it's it's okay. It's okay to be apologetic about things. It's okay. <laughs> You're not giving up any power.
1: And one of the funny things that we don't think about, like, you know, we put so much emphasis on make a good first impression, but... Make a good last impression. You know, doctors that take um, like 30 seconds and sit down and talk to a patient before they leave are significantly less sued than other doctors because that last moment with them is usually overlooked. They just kind of end up wandering out of your building or filtering out of your business in some way. It's over. Done. You know, it's very uh, letdown. But if you could make your last moments during that contact connecting and think in terms of they're still your customer after the
0: sale, it could have a huge impact. Yeah, maintaining that connection all the way through all yeah. the way through. I know that this book is, that book is absolutely jammed with other information. So Who's Your Gladys is out now, Who's your yep. com, and also Taming Gladys. Oh, see if Gladys can be tamed. It's coming out <laughs> this fall. So you can find the links to the books, to everything that Marilyn has mentioned on the show today, back at the show notes on the Start Something Show website. So you didn't have to grab a pen or pull over on the side of the road while you were listening or anything like that because we handle that all for you. Just go to the com and click on the show listings and you'll find everything about Marilyn, how to find her, how to connect with her, and all of the information she mentioned. And Marilyn, you're going to be joining us on the Backstage Pass. Is that right? Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm looking forward to digging in deeper to this concept of, you know, turning your even your most difficult customers into your biggest fans. Thanks, Tina. I just love what you're doing here. Thank you're you. really making a difference for business owners. Uh, you know what? We're doing our best, starting the movement and, and letting it fly. So nice. All right. Thanks, Marilyn. We'll be back with you on the Backstage Pass and Super Starters. Join us back on the website for all of the show notes, all of the information from all of our guests, as well as lots and lots of learning material in our community hub for small business owners. We're here for you. And if you have a customer service a question, complaint, or suggestion for us, you can always send that to us at the Contact Us page. So we'll see you on the Backstage Pass, and we'll see you on the show next week. Have a great week. Start something with purpose. Start something with freedom. Start something now. Go to the startsomethingshow.com join our community of superstarters and get your Perfect Day Planner Pack, a free resource to help you create the life you've dreamed of living. Take action now, and we'll see you for our next exciting episode episode.